This is the Sales Development Podcast, powered by Tenbound, hosted by David Delaney. My name is James Bodden, here to introduce episode 209, featuring Peter Kazanji, co-founder and CRO at Atrium. This episode kicks off with Peter filling us in on Atrium and what they're working on currently. David introduces Peter as the highly touted sales leader that he is, and the episode gets started with lots of fun. At the 15-minute mark, Peter talks about the rise of data-driven coaching and analysis in areas where sales leaders can use data to increase success on their team, something that every SDR and sales manager needs to listen to. At the 25-minute mark, Peter gets tactical on how his team makes entering key data into different systems a part of their day, something that, again, every sales leader and every individual contributor listening should tune into. At the 40-minute mark, David and Peter discuss top reasons that startups fail and the importance of building a product that actually solves a problem a great section of the episode and as the episode wraps up david and peter promise for a part two maybe even a part three and peter lets you know how you can connect with him this episode is a masterclass for all the sdr leaders in the audience all of the individual contributors in the audience so if you enjoy the episode head over to tenbound.com leave us a rating check out what we're up to but for now enjoy episode 209 featuring Peter Kazanji, co-founder and CRO at Atrium. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You're cracking yourself up? (laughs) Well, I just saw you crack a smile, and I'm like, I can't do this. I am joined today. This is going to be a tough one, folks, so bear with me. Peter (laughs) Kazanji, co-founder and CRO of Atrium. And the spiritual god of the sales, marketing, and go-to-market SaaS community. Thank you for joining me, sir. You're very welcome as the spiritual god for me blessing you with my presence. Where is my burnt offerings? <laughs> spiritual god, what is what is your deal? I just finished those a few minutes ago. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate your it. burnt yeah. offerings. <laughs> that okay? Now that so makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I get it. I know. Why didn't you share with me? Jeez. I know, right? I mean, hey, you know, it's legal here in San Francisco. So why are we hiding it? So Pete, thanks for coming on. You know, our audience is probably connected with you in one way, shape or form. Tell us about Atrium and what you're working on over there. Yeah, for sure. So Atrium is my second software startup. We make what we like to call data-driven sales management software whose sole purpose is to help managers, so AE, SDR, AM, CSM managers to use data to improve team performance. And kind of like in short, the way that it does that is Atrium just continuously monitors dozens and dozens of AE and SDR KPIs and then proactively alerts managers and leadership when something is off you know, with the reps, team, so on. And so what this means is that managers can get the coaching insights faster about their reps and drive positive behavior change to win. And so that's all kind of cool stuff. But the 
one thing that's like particularly nifty is it takes about two minutes to set up. So, you know, organizations that are like, man, we really should get our act together with respect to instrumentation and, you know, data-driven management. It's like, ding, boom, done. So it's pretty fun. It's like, we're like the sales nerd geek squad over here. <laughs> okay. You're speaking my love language here because it, <laughs> it's actually being able to use data in a proactive way to make behavior change. And then number two is, is it's two minutes to set up. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's amazing. I want to dive in on both of those. Why did you start the company? And this is your second one. So are you nuts or what's going yeah. on? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like an and, right? Embrace the and sort of okay. thing. Nuts and. I think really what I kind of came down to was, so my background is actually not in sales leadership like back in the day. Like I started my technology career in product management and product marketing at a company called VMware. And so when I started my first software company, Talentbin, you know, it was one of those things where it's like, oh, this thing doesn't sell itself. Yeah. It's weird. It's like, yeah, goofball. Like there's millions of this thing called salespeople for a reason. What, like what is wrong with you? And so like in short order, kind of ended up figuring out like, oh, okay, cool. Like this needs to be sold. I was our first sales rep, our first sales leader, our first sales manager, sales leader. And kind of like through that process, I kind of came to realize that sales is like very much like a system. So we had a like, you know, traditional modern sales organization, like SDR plus AE plus CSM. And so we got pretty good at Talentbin from like 2011 through 2014. Like we got pretty good at what we now call data-driven sales management using like Salesforce reports and dashboards and Google Sheets and like G Connector and, you know, using like Google Calendar invites to remind yourself to go look at this dashboard and like make sure that people are doing the things that they're supposed to be doing. But it was all like kind of like hacked together. And so then when we got bought by Monster, I was responsible for new product sales for a, like a thousand person sales organization. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. We're going to go to this like big kid sales organization and see how like, you know, the pros do it. And that place was a shit show. Right. It was just like an absolute disaster. Like nobody had any comprehension of the quantity and quality of like selling behavior that was going on. And like part of it was because they were on Siebel CRM, but it really kind of felt like, but they had like a very like meaningful Tableau implementation and a very delightful data team. And it was just like, it felt like there was like a better way of doing this. And like the poor sales managers, right? Like they didn't have anything available to them. And so instead, it was just like deals, deals, deals all the time. Let's talk about your deals, et cetera, versus like really being able to use data to like measure and manage and improve their reps. And so, you know, in early 2016, we started doing some research around this. We did about 150 customer interviews. And what we kind of realized was that just like the current state of how managers are enabled to use data to like measure and like measure and manage and improve their teams is just like, is like not good. <laughs> it's like not good and it's not fair to them. And so we were like, okay, it feels like there's a better way of going about this. And that's how we kind of started on the atrium journey. And really like the idea here is it's like managers are extremely important, right? So like as an AE manager, you're responsible for like your six or your eight AEs or whatever. As an SDR manager, you're responsible for your like, you know, six, eight, 10, 12 SDRs or whatever. And the way that you like, the way that you help them be better is, or like the way that you ought to be able to help them be better, like that's your job is to help them be better, right? Like your op count number that you need to hit at the end of the month is not just this like, abstract number, it's actually composed of like adding up all the ops that 
each of those SDRs creates throughout the month or throughout the quarter or whatever. And then moreover, where all that comes from is from the quantity and quality of their selling activity right, or prospecting activity. So literally the only way to make that op count go up or your bookings count go up is to help each of those individuals get better at what it is that they do. And the way that you do that is like you have to diagnose like what the kind of hitch is in their approach, like whatever it is, and you work to you know make that better. And then once you make that better, you move on to the next one. Right. And so the kind of prior state of that was in pretty poor repair. And so that's literally what Atrium focuses on is like helping managers who historically have not been able to do that, be able to do it in a world-class way. Yeah. I'm curious about, because I think of when Dwight, and now I can't remember his name, the manager of the office. Oh, Michael Scott. <laughs> Michael obviously. Scott, sorry. Michael Scott. When Dwight and Michael Scott would drive out to sales calls together in the car. That was yeah. essentially... You know, the mentorship, how did people do this before in a digital environment? And, you know, as you mentioned, when you came into Monster. Well, there's really been like a big sea change here because the reason, like, it's not surprising that managers haven't been able to do this historically because like the data hasn't really been super available. So I don't know, David, are you much of a sports fan? What's your favorite go-to there? You know, not rabid, but, you know, medium level, I guess. Medium level, medium sports fan. Yeah. yeah. Like if you think about where like analytics have made its way into sports, it really started with places that have the best data availability, right? So like baseballs where advanced analytics showed up first, like everybody's probably seen the movie Moneyball or like read the book. And it started out with like a pretty basic use case, which was like, hey, let's identify the players that are, you know, that maybe don't look the part, but actually have like really good metrics. And then like, they'll be underpriced from a recruiting standpoint, et cetera, et cetera. But like now data is used in like every part of the game from like, oh, okay, this batter is coming up. We're going to shift the the players over here. We're going to pitch the batter like this or, you know, so on and so forth. And then of course it's made it its way into basketball and soccer and so on and so forth. But the thing is, is that you needed to have the data originally. And so like way back in the day, there wasn't really like good data availability for sales organizations, right? So like we were making, we were joking about like Siebel, Siebel CRM earlier, probably like the, like, you know, an opportunity would be registered in the CRM, like maybe like right before it gets closed one, right? So there's like not really any good kind of like line of sight or forecasting or let alone like activity information. In fact, actually, one of my favorite stories from our customer research when we're doing research for Atrium was this gentleman who was a like, you know, he's been a sales operations leader forever. And he's like, oh, and when I was talking about the question we would ask is like, how do you use data to measure and improve the performance of your reps? And he's like, oh man, I got a funny story for you. Back in the day, and he's like, he would joke about how he's like old and crusty. He's like, oh yeah, back in the day, we could literally tell who was going to like hit their number based on their expense reports. And I was like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, totally. Right. Because essentially they're like, it's like a meeting submission. Right. It's like a log meeting. Yeah. And so the funny thing is, is like you couldn't just base it on how much somebody is like how much somebody was expensing. Cause like maybe they go out to some like insane, like one insane dinner and it's like 500 bucks or whatever. This is like way back in the 80s. Right. Or you have somebody else who's like submitting a, like their $500 expense bill or their $1,000 expense bill or whatever. And it's all like $25 coffees or like $50 like lunches or, or whatever. Well, what that would indicate is a high volume of activity. And so that was like fat. I was like, oh man, like essentially that was activity logging. But in this case, it was 
by you know, using yeah like using expense submissions in order to do that and so the good news is is that like now with the rise of like cloud crms like of course salesforce being the first and kind of like the biggest one there but obviously like dynamics and hubspot being really great there as well now it's just like a lot easier for that information to be captured in some sort of capacity and so like when you start capturing the information well now the next thing is like now you can actually analyze it and so it's only been being captured in the last like 10ish years but only like really good in the last like 5 years or so and so like it's unsurprising that it hasn't it didn't really like the muscles weren't really there before because we're going to do like analyze air like come on right it was like michael scott yeah exactly it was like michael scott driving to you know driving to, and so this is like how old school like sales leaders would do it is like they'd be on the road constantly because they had to like sit next to their rep in those sales calls for two reasons. One, to like analyze the behavior and like sit back and watch how they were selling and then coach them up afterwards. And then also, <laughs> and then two, to like actually like manually instrument the performance. It's like, cool. I know that you had three sales meetings today because I was literally with you. Right. Yeah, exactly. It was like Tommy Boy where they're going out to sell brake pads. They're, yeah. you know, and so essentially now with the digital footprint, you can do that digitally. And then Atrium can take that information and actually make it into something useful. Yeah, totally. And this isn't one of the things that we find is that like younger sales managers are like, yeah, no duh. Yeah. <laughs> like they don't necessarily know how to do it themselves per se, but they're like, yeah, of course. Like I'm a huge Warriors fan. Like I watch this on ESPN all the time. Anytime there's like something like there's some analysis around like, you know, someone shooting or, you know, somebody's batting or somebody's pitching or whatever, like, yeah, duh. Or like, oh, I own a Peloton or, oh, I own like a whoop or whatever. Like there's a little bit of kind of like more of a change management process with like the, you know, the 40 somethings or the 50 something leaders. Like a lot of those folks are like, yeah, man, like I wish I had this when I was younger. Like I'm going to get on the train now. But some of them are kind of like, oh, I don't know about this. Like, you know, I know how to do my job. And so that's fine. Like they'll eventually retire and like the new thing will be the, like the new status quo. Right. Okay. And then, so a couple of things that I think of is tracking what people are doing on a daily basis, especially from a remote environment. You know, do you find it's a two minute setup, but are the everything that someone's doing on a daily basis, is it being tracked digitally? And then can it feed into the system? Or do you find, is there sort of a dark web or something of the things that are not being tracked and you can't really see, you know, cause we're remote these days, right? Or is it pretty much everything yeah i mean i think the remote stuff really it's like that helps it's interesting yeah. well yeah it helps and hurts right yeah you nailed it right because you know use like field reps who used to drive around or whatever now they're having zoom meetings now in fairness like this is actually one of the reasons why atrium like connects directly with like calendars because like it just it turns out that like you know, if, if you want to understand how many customer facing meetings somebody's having, like it's right there on their calendar, right? You want to make sure that they, you want to make sure that the customer shows up, right? <laughs> like you send them a calendar invite. And so while those existed previously for like field reps, maybe like the recording of the call didn't necessarily, like I remember back in the day, back in the day, back when I was selling, I was a big ClearSlide user. Yep. Yeah. And like ClearSlide and SalesCrunch. Oh my God. And wow. I know, right? And then they're both great products. And 
So I think what was funny though, is that, you know, I would actually go on site. They were great because like they would record your calls. They wouldn't do any of the sort of like fancy stuff that Gong or Chorus does around like, you know, interpretation or, or anything like that, but they would record your live calls. But then if you went on site, you actually like, they had like an iPad app or something where you could like awkwardly like set it on the table and be like, I'm going to record this. Okay. And I think actually maybe Gong and Chorus both have this at this point as well. Oh, wow. But yeah. So everything. Yeah. Yeah, because I think what ends up happening is, is like, you know, the, all of this information is only valuable to the rep. Like, it's super valuable. And I think this is another really big thing that's kind of changing in the mindsets of folks is that, like, to use another sports analogy, I think people have historically maybe been a little bit more reticent around using data driven kind of like coaching and, you know, data driven coaching and analysis. And so now, but I think it's because like the data was like very partial in the past and also people didn't like know how to use it. So they were just like, make more calls, right? Like close more or whatever versus being more nuanced around and being like, okay, cool. You know, do you see how, and I do a bunch of master classes on like data-driven coaching, but do you see how your untouched opportunity levels are way higher than everybody else on the team? This is an indication of a problematic pipeline hygiene situation, which is either indicative of you having too many opportunities in your pipe or alternatively not having enough space on the calendar to properly manage those opportunities via email or calls or meetings. Let's work together to either A, reduce the number of ops that are in your pipe, or B, make sure you have space on the calendar in order to properly manage those opportunities. That's a data-driven coaching conversation as opposed to like, oh, close more, right? And I think what you're having is more of those conversations are happening because you have more nuanced information. Like what I was talking about right there is an example of a you know fairly advanced KPI, like untouched opportunities. like very like you can't really make that in salesforce or tableau but once you have that information it's like oh okay cool this rep right here clearly has like a pipeline hygiene problem and then this rep over here well she's got a different problem like maybe she has a low average selling price problem right and so oh, okay well what's the root cause of that oh is it because her like average op size in pipe is low okay, great. Let's like deal with that. Like maybe she's like shooting too low in these organizations and like, like her average op size is, is a little bit light there or alternatively is because her like win rate on larger deals is bad, mm -hmm. right? Both there's of those actually, would drive like a lower ASV, right? There's some usefulness to the coaching. I think one of the things that you hear from salespeople a lot is my manager interactions are just a waste of time kind of. You know, because know. they're just, hey, why don't you just make more calls or what, close what more. are you going to close this month? Close harder. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a new thing. And like, this is the thing, right? Is that if that data didn't exist previously, then like, of course, managers aren't going to yet have the muscles by which to interpret it, but also to prosecute those conversations. And so that's why, like, so the good news is like there's software like ours that make it very easy for the managers to interpret it and have access to it. Then the next question is like, okay, well, how do you like prosecute those conversations and do that actual coaching? This is actually one of the reasons why you probably know Richard Harris, but we literally have him do monthly manager boot camps for our customers. And we do it for prospects now too. Like anybody can sign up. We just have like Richard on a retainer. It's delightful. So like he does like a half day boot camp like once a month. We actually anyone can sign up at atriumhq.com forward slash bootcamp. And literally, yeah, it's just like a four hour workshop on like how to have like 
difficult conversations and like, you know, what a good onboarding program looks like and how to manage up to your boss and all the sort of things that like you would hope that a manager get, would get trained on with when they become a new manager. But like, let's be honest, right? Like a lot of the managers, especially in the in startup world or like high tech, kind of like high growth are recently promoted individual contributors. So you know, two years ago, they were an SDR, like two years ago, they were an AE and they get like thrown right in it. And, you know, no one's really investing in them to kind of give them those skills. So we do that too, on top of the, like, on top of the software piece. That's an awesome opportunity for, it sounds like not only the customers, but, you know, prospective customers can get involved in that because that's what I think of. It's, you gave me this great report, this data you know, makes perfect sense. How do I go and make that actionable with my team? You know, it's the soft skills in combined with this. So you've addressed that. Yeah, it really was. It was one of those things that we identified in our customer base where people would say, now, don't get me wrong. One of the things that like really blocks managers from having performance conversations is worrying that they're going to be wrong. And so like, oh, like, I don't want to be the heavy. I don't want to be the asshole here. And so having the data to be like, actually, I demonstrably know that this person has a major pipeline hygiene problem. Like it's right there, right? Or I demonstrably know that this person has like a major activity problem. It's right there. So now at least they don't feel like, like, oh man, am I going to be like the heavy here because I missed perceiving what's going on in like, what's the case in the world? So at least they're one step closer to having a productive performance conversation, but that still doesn't mean that they're like, it's easy to be like, so David, last month, it looks like you had 10 customer facing meetings on average, everyone on the rest of the team looked like they had 45. Any ideas where that shortfall kind of came from? I would love for us to get that number up. How can we do this together? Any thoughts? Yeah. Nope, no pressure there. But the data, the data gets you in the conversation. So it's not just a subjective thing. Like you stink, you know, and that's why we're doing this. I actually have a report. Hundred percent. You know, one thing that's tricky is tracking the data and making sure that everyone's filling in the forms. And maybe you know, I've been out of the game for a while, and maybe it's gotten easier, but. It seems like you have to consistently check boxes and make sure that you're putting things into the right order in order for the data to come up to the report. Is that still an issue or is that something that's a little more automated now? Yeah. I mean, that's something that we really like in a lot of the things that I, a lot of the master classes that I present on is the more you can automate that sort of like logging, that activity logging, like the better off you're going to be. Right. And so there's a bunch of software that could kind of help with. And this is one of the reasons why, like, Atrium not only reads off the CRM, but it also connects directly to the email system and the calendar system. But, like, you still may want to log the stuff into the CRM. And so there's, at this point, it's like a feature of Sales Loft and Outreach and like Apollo and MixMax or whatever. It's just like, yeah, it just pushes the data, like, you know, the activities into, you know, into the CRM, under the contact object, under the lead object or, or what have you. And there's also like WSD software that will actually create the contact object for you. 
which is pretty nice because that's a kind of a perennial challenge is if you don't have the contact object in there, it doesn't actually like log. So there's a bunch of things that do that, like Zoom Info bought a company called Comico. It's now called Inbox AI. I think it's actually part of Chorus at this point. There's a different, but like the more you can like reduce that, the better off P that you are. And then if you are going to do things where you require people to like log specific things, this is like a big med pick thing, or like usually organizations will go through like a winning by designs implementation or a force management implementation or something. And like, they'll figure out like what their meaningful interactions are kind of like the key moments. And then the old school way of kind of doing that is to like create a very specific like task type there. And that can get a little heavy, right? Because what ends up happening is like the more you require that stuff, like the less reps do it. <laughs> and so then like, you know, it's funny. We literally have a customer who did this recently where they this big force management implementation and they like created a custom object in Salesforce, which we're like, why did you do that? Just use the task. Jeez. They created a custom object around like a meaningful interaction thing with a bunch of subtypes. And like the managers are still using Atrium data to understand like how many actual like customer facing meetings the reps are having and at like at what stage they're happening because the reps just like don't lock it in the other. You just have to kind of make it part of your day, you know, where you don't have to think about logging. And that's probably a pie in the sky, you know, idea. But if it's just part of your day, like the sales loft example, right? If you're just doing your activities in sales loft and it's automatically pumping into the reports, you're good. You know, you don't even have to think about logging anything, but it sounds like to varying degrees, we're not quite there yet. One thing you can do there, and for all the sales ops nerds listening right now, we've had a lot of success around like Salesforce flows and like kind of facilitating like a flow of like, fill out like, here's this field. And then here's this field. And then here's this field. And it kind of like, it's like, ding, 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 ding. We actually use this on our customer success team. We have a thing called CS playbook task type. And it's just sitting there right there on like its little button on the contact object. And so, you know, one of our CSMs has like an interaction with like a sales leader or a sales manager or a sales operations person or whatever. And they like help them with like, you know, a new dashboard or a new alert feed or a new set of goals or whatever. They just like log it really quickly. Like, oh, okay, cool. Like I'm going to log that we deployed a ramping playbook against this contact object. And then we also did, you know, AE prospecting, right? We put together some AE prospecting views. And so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to log that really quickly. And whereas previously we we're like, okay, go ahead and like create a task and then do the right type, you know, and then make sure to fill out the right fields and so on and so forth. And of course, like Salesforce takes, you know, 15 seconds to load every time. And so people are just were like very non-compliant associated with it. So we we're like, okay, how can we make this more usable for these folks? And the way that we did that was through like a custom flow using with like a button entry point. So that can be a good way of doing that too. Yeah. It's if, if you behavior. have to manually log something, if you right. have to, sometimes you do, right? Like at least let's make it easy. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like a type form, you know, it's just, you know, totally. instead of having to go back in, it's interesting that you bring that up because, you know, small company, we were using copper CRM, which nobody's heard of, but maybe some people have, but it used to just sit right. It used to be in- called ProsperWorks. ProsperWorks. Yeah. Yeah. And I loved it personally. It's it pretty solid. Right in Gmail. And I'd never had to think about it. It was always just constantly 
You know, yeah. it was like through your day, it was taking things in and out. And then the team wanted Salesforce, right? And no offense to Salesforce, if you guys are listening, love you. But the thing sits in Gmail and it's always disconnected constantly. And something, I don't know, maybe I didn't set it up right, but every time I want to use it, I have to connect it again. And then it's disconnected next time I open it. It doesn't flow in the way that copper used to. And I'm human. And it's like, I don't want to think about my CRM flow. I just want to think about whatever I'm doing at the time. And it's stuff like that. So that's just, yeah, <laughs> that's one example. But I like the flow idea. That's because we're dealing with human beings, right? And you got to sit in the seat of the salesperson and see how they're using these things. And then how you can put your operational flow into that actual, you know, human being <laughs> situation yep. and get some good data out of it. Yeah. I was talking yeah. with one of our customers earlier about this, this woman who leads sales operations for a hundred person sales organization. And we were kind of talking about that and like the importance of like sitting with your managers and kind of like seeing how like, like essentially doing like anthropological research right? Saying like, hey, what's the situation here? How are these guys going about this? And then moreover, what you can do is you can like do a better job of saying, okay, they're running into the, like these issues right here. I can help them with those issues, right? Exactly. Yeah. And that's why, you know, some of the best ops professionals that you work with have been sales reps or they've been SDRs and they've been on the other end of the maze that you set up. And so they really come into it with that understanding and they do a great job. This is actually one of the reasons why a great profile that we have here at eight, that we found for success with our reps is former sales managers. So it's like sales managers who are like, you know what? <laughs> I'm tired of babysitting. I'm just going to go back and be a rep or sales managers who have been like more velocity motions. So like you know, Yelp or, you know, demand force or like Yext or something like that. And in organizations like that, they usually have like big spans of control because it's like a very low average selling price deal situation. So you like, there's not a lot of money to like amortize a sales manager over. So like they're used to having like 10 reps, 12 reps, et cetera, which of course, if you have that many reps, like the only way you can manage them is by metric. Right. And so those folks, they've like crushed it for us as sellers. And then on the flip side, we also have that on with our customer success function where many, many, many of our customer success folks have prior sales operations experience or prior like selling experience because it like helps them with exactly that. Like, oh, okay, here, let me show you how to like, you know, how to use Atrium to, to like, put in place a pipeline hygiene program or to put in place an AE prospecting program or to put in place like an SDR efficiency metric program. And then moreover here, let's talk about actually how to coach to it, et cetera. Yeah. They've felt the pain. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Been on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. So when yeah. someone's like, oh yeah, like I can build this in Salesforce, it's like, I don't think that's true. In fact, why don't you share your screen? I'm going to start a stopwatch. I'm going to see how long it takes. In fact, actually, I'm going to start an hourglass. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Show me. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, when you walk into like a snowboard shop, you kind of want somebody with a, a raccoon tan, you know, and yeah. crazy wavy hair, you know, somebody who's been there, done you know what? that. You don't want someone who like looks like yeah. us. No. I don't, I don't know. know if this guy knows how to sell. Yeah. 
Exactly. <laughs> so let me ask you, I just want to go back. You did 150 customer interviews as you were doing the initial work on this. So what was that process like? You know, how do you get people to take surveys and sit down with you and stuff like that? Did you have to bribe them or how did you do that? Well, it's one of those things where like you have to do the work because if you don't, you'll definitely build in the wrong direction. And like, you definitely don't want that situation going on. So we actually use this method from this guy, Michael Sippy, who used to run product at Medium. And he has got this really great article that he published in First Round Review called Get in the Van. And so we use the like interview structure from that, which is like very open. And it's like a discovery conversation, which is hysterical. Right? So, hey, David, how do you use data to improve your team's performance right now? Oh, I do it this way. Got it. Okay. So like, what's unsatisfactory about that? You know, how, what could be better? What would be your ideal situation? It's like, it's like a disco conversation. And then what we would do is coming out of that, like if the person was really great and we're like, oh man, this person's got like really great insights, we would say, hey... You know, can you think of some other people who might be interested? Because usually coming out of those conversations, people are pretty pumped up because it's like this big cathartic conversation where they get to like complain about their current state. Again, like a a good disco conversation, people just get to like, you know, bitch and moan about like their current state. And they're like, man, that felt good to get all that off my plate. Yeah, you should buy. (laughs) And so you have a similar situation, but in this case, rather than being like, cool, so there's a DocuSign in your inbox, it's more like, right. Can you think of anybody else who, you know, might have a thoughtful take on this? Oh yeah. I can think of these three people right here. And then you send them like a open table gift card. Right. And then like send them a hundred dollar open table gift card. And they're like, Whoa, I got to have this like super cathartic conversation. And then, you know, and I got a hundred dollar open table gift card and I'm going to introduce, you know, this person to three of my friends who have the same situation and then they're going to get open table gift cards. Oh man, I'm the open table gift card fairy. Right. Like, and then you like, you just like spider out and spider out and pretty soon you have like a hundred conversations, 200 conversations or whatever. And like, guess what? Those are just like ops later, right? Like you have, you have prospects to like sell into. Exactly. Well, and, and you're pulling the threads from those conversations to then create your initial product, right? Or did you already have your product and took it from there? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In this case, it's discovery conversations to discover like actually like what could possibly potentially be built in the case of like, you know, effective discovery conversations. Once you already have something built, what you're doing is you're asking provocative questions in order to like reveal to the prospect their unmet needs, right? To ask them current, like ask them current state, but you know, really effective discovery is more about like eliciting discovery in them than it is in like you getting information from them. Like probably my favorite example of this is in John McMahon's The Qualified Sales Leader. He's got this really great chapter on disco where he's like, he gets a call from an insurance salesman who just like proceeds to just like drag him through the most like vicious discovery about like implying to him like, hey, what would actually happen if you died? What would happen with your two kids and your wife? And so, and when he just does it through just like very pointed questions that kind of like bring John along this like pain funnel at the end, it's just like, oh man, I got to buy, <laughs> like, I got to buy life insurance instantly. Yeah. Right. Like very effective discovery. And so, yeah, sales discovery is more about like eliciting like eliciting and revealing the lack that your product solves versus in this case, new product development, like discoveries about, you know, eliciting or sorry, revealing and to you 
the like the unmet needs in these organizations such that you can then piece together software in a way that can hopefully solve it. It's so amazing. And there's just so many software solutions that come out. And it seems like a lot of people skip that step. You know, they just kind of build something and hope for the best. And then, you know, nobody actually wants it. The high order bid on how startups die is usually like, I mean, this is why Paul Graham from Y Combinator always says like, build something that people want. And so like the high order bit usually is like what you've done is you've built something that people didn't want. And the reason why you did that was because you didn't do that initial research. Now, part of it is like a little bit of alchemy as well, because as you know, as Henry Ford says, you know, if I had asked the customers what they want, it would have been like a faster horse. Well, that's not hundred percent true, right? Mm-hmm. You would have said like, how do you get around right now? Oh, well, I have this horse. Oh, okay. Wonderful. You know, what's problematic about your horse? Oh my God. He smells terrible. Oh yeah, what else? It's like pooping everywhere constantly. Got it. Okay. Well, what else? Oh my God, it costs a fortune to feed him. Got it. What else? Well, he like he kicks people. Got it. What else? Okay, cool. Well, you know, what would you think about a you know a horse that didn't poop and you didn't have to feed and it wouldn't kick people? Well, wow, geez, that would sound really kind of compelling to me, right? So yeah, no, no, like no, do that. yeah, exactly. Like doing and kind of like exactly like figuring out where the paint like what the things are that they like oh what do you like about the horse well it's, it's pretty fast it's pretty fast oh okay what would be better if it was faster and it didn't poop that would be even better okay got it so if we could come up with some sort of thing that was like faster than a horse but didn't poop and like you know and you didn't have to feed constantly is that something that would be compelling to you oh yeah definitely interesting how much would you pay for that well, geez, I mean, you know, my horse costs this and he dies every so often. And then, you know, I have to feed him this amount per year. And then like the room and board is this. And then like, da, 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 da. I don't know, at least like, you know, a thousand dollars. Oh, okay, great. I feel like a thousand dollars is probably a lot in like 1890, right? Yeah. <laughs> but you have enough there now to go back. Yeah. Do something like, to, do like something. make an MVP, do, like, make an MVP or. It's not going to be a faster horse, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, you got to do that. And then the second thing that kills startups is like not selling, right? Mm -hmm. Being afraid to talk to customers, being afraid to have customer contact, which is kind of related to the first thing, right? Like, and I think where a lot of that comes from is like, people don't want to be proven wrong. You know, they're afraid of people saying that their baby's ugly, et cetera, versus just saying like, hey, like, I'm just here. Like, this is one of the things that was really impactful with like Eric Reese's The Lean Startup is if you approach things from the standpoint of a hypothesis, right? Like, hey man, like this is a hypothesis, right? Well, like now you're not like wedded to it, right? Like, yeah, if this is disproven, it's not because like I'm a dummy. It's just because like the hypothesis was wrong and then we come up with a new hypothesis, right? Mm-hmm. It's a scientific method. And it is, and, you know, that brings me to, you wrote a book. And when I think about a lot of as in the software industry, which is where we live here, where a we lot hang of out. The founders, I know <laughs> we got to get out of here. A lot of the founders are technologists, right? And they're, they're engineers and they're more comfortable. I mean, I'm making a wide ranging, you know, statement. Not wrong though. Yeah. I mean, they're more comfortable creating things and, you know, not necessarily natural born salespeople, but you wrote a book called Founder Sales. So what made you want to write that and put that out there? Yeah. By the way, like you're not wrong. And and also I think there's an interesting phrase in there around like natural born sellers. Mm-hmm. I don't actually think that exists. And I think the thing, the reality is, is like when you meet somebody who 
like you think is a natural born seller, it's actually because they probably have gone through a bunch of like sales training all throughout like the first 18 or 22 or 24 years of their existence, right? Where like maybe they had like five siblings. Yeah. <laughs> right. And they had to constantly be like <laughs> negotiating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like negotiating and like, you know, tr- horse trading and like communicating or, or maybe they come, you know, maybe they're like a big reader and a communicator and so on and so forth. Or maybe they just like, they get a lot of energy from talking with other folks, but like they've been in that sales training for a long time, even though it wasn't sales training. So the reality is, is that even if you aren't like that, like I would characterize myself like that. And actually the very first chapter of the book talks about sales mindset changes where, you know, 15 years ago, I probably would have been like resistant to the notion of like going into a cocktail party where I don't know anybody. Right. And like maybe I've been in the corner and been like, I don't know. Right. Like I'm kind of like gun shy about this. Now you can just like parachute me into any place. And I'm like, I'm going to make friends with everybody. It's going to be great. And like, this is just something that is like, it's a muscle that you build the same way that like, you know, the muscle of like asking people for money, like, Hey, David, well, you know, how did you like that ride on the horse that doesn't poop? Well, I think it was fantastic. Wonderful. And remind me again, how much you spend on hay every year? Oh, it was like, it was this amount. Interesting. Got it. Okay, cool. Well, so the horse costs a, you know, a thousand dollars. It sounds like you would like to keep it. Am I thinking about that correctly or, or am I off? Well, geez, Pete, I guess you are right. Wonderful. Well, so, you know, how do you normally go about purchases, purchases like that? Like that, back and forth that we just had, or like that fake role play back and forth right there. That's just, you know, something that people aren't necessarily comfortable with, but you do it like two dozen, three dozen, four dozen, five dozen times. And it's just like muscle memory. Right. And so this is one of the reasons why I wrote that book was, you know, it's not like magic and rocket science. It's just something that, you know, that people need documentation on like a recipe. And then people can just like follow along on that. Right. And I've seen that quite a bit with people who have read the book. Well, it's a terrific, you know, primer. And what I also see a lot is founders get to a point where there's some, a little bit of traction and they're ready to go to market and they'll just hire a sales leader and go hit there. Can't do that. Now I can just get back to building stuff. Hot potato here. This is yours. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's like a really bad design pattern is the notion of like, sprinkling some sales on it, trying to get somebody else to sell it for you. You got to sell the first like dozen customers yourself, right? You got to figure out the initial MVP of the sales motion. And then the next step is to like deliver that to somebody else to get another rep in there who can sell as effectively as you. And like, now, you know, you're at the point where you can start scaling. Right. But the road of startups is littered with like the bodies of organizations that thought they were going to hire somebody else to figure out sales for them. Yeah. The head of sales syndrome, (laughs) you could call it. So, well, Pete, I mean, and our listeners, if you've hung on this long, you're in the presence of like a master of this craft. And I feel like this is part one of like three, honestly, like, Mm -mm. because we haven't talked about like five of the things that I have. So, Mm -mm. Pete, we're going to have you back on. I want to dive into all these topics more, but in the meantime, how can people get in touch with you and learn more about Atrium and the book and everything that you're doing? Yeah. I mean, so a couple of things there. If you are excited about data-driven sales management, one thing you can do is you can just sign up for a free Atrium account at atriumhq.com. That's really great. We also, like I was noting earlier, if you're a sales manager, SDR manager, AE manager, 
et cetera, and you're interested in leveling up your sales management game, we host monthly sales manager boot camps with Richard Harris. Normally it would be a thousand dollars for someone to do that on their own. We just, we foot the bill for that. You can just sign up there at atriumhq.com forward slash bootcamp. And then pretty easily findable on LinkedIn and Twitter. I'm the only Pete Kazanji in, in the United States. So even if you butcher my last name, like Google auto-corrected for you. Oh, did you mean Pete Kazanji? Right? <laughs> <laughs> Why, yes, I did. Excellent. Okay. Well, we will get those links into the show notes and make sure that everybody signs up for that. Like I said, Pete, we'll get you back on because there's so much here that we need to dive into. Thanks in the meantime for coming on the show. My pleasure. I'll see you later, David. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.